This is Katie Valentine, and welcome back to another episode of Magical Mystical Journeys. Today, we have a really special being to explore. She is a goddess, kind of. You'll find out more about that as we get into the episode. She has roots in India. She's traveled to China and far beyond. And today, we are talking about Guan Yin. I'm really excited because this is kind of a new-ish being for me. So let's just start off with what we know about Kuan Yin to begin with. Andrea, what about you? Zilch. I know nothing. I had never heard of this being until Amy suggested her. So I am very excited to dive in to learn something new. Even the name, brand new. Never even heard the name. Never, Never heard even heard the name. the name. And in fact, yeah. was thinking, had I heard it maybe in a different context or a different pronunciation, a different nothing, nothing, All which right. actually illuminated how little I know about Asian philosophies and Asian cultures in terms of religion, you know, outside of the big ones, Buddha or like Confucius you know, some or of, some of the big Hindu beings that we learn about, frankly, in American yoga. Right. So, and Kuan Yin um, does, not, does not tend to be one of those. No. All right. No. Amy, what about you? What's your quick rundown of your experiences with Kuan Yin? Yeah, it's really interesting because it was during our recording of Lady Portia that she started showing up very strongly. And that's kind of how she came into play for this episode. Kuan Yin first came into my life in relation to the Violet Flame energy work that I work with. And so... Kuan Yin is said to be one of the teachers for St. Germain, of course, Lady Portia, St. Germain's twin flame, and Jesus, also part of that violet flame energy. They showed me that they always meet us where we are, whatever it is that we need in our life, whatever that next piece is, it's okay that we're afraid. They're still going to show up to give us exactly what we need, that next piece that they're still here for us. And so when she showed up for me during the recording of Lady Portia, like during that time, I had learned a little bit more about her, basically in relation to compassion, like in the Phoenix, the Phoenix is one of the guides energy beings that has been very present in my life. And I had learned that the Phoenix was said to be kind of her eyes, like an animal spirit of hers. Yeah. So you knew some, had a little bit of experience, but not a lot. And then yeah. here we are. Yep. As for me, I knew Kuan Yin kind of, but if you had asked me what religion or religions is she part of, I would have had to have guessed. But right. I bought this long sleeved t-shirt that I wore for at least 10 years. It finally, I think, gave out last year and has been lovingly recycled. But I bought it at a shop in Berkeley and there was an Asian goddess on the front and it was Kuan Yin. And so I wore her for many years without really knowing anything about her. But it always felt so warm and comforting. And I always wore it with the sweater and the chili Berkeley night air. And so I have like fond memories of it. And it's one of those pieces of clothing where I'm like, so sad. It's not in my possession anymore. I just saw a picture of myself with this t-shirt on. So that was really it. When Amy suggested this energy that this is what we explore felt fun and resonant. And so to help us explore, because Kuan Yin does originate in Asia and neither Amy nor Katie nor Andrea are of Asian descent. We are bringing in an expert to help us out with Kuan Yin and to give us a lot of historical information. So that's where we're going to turn to next. 
We are so pleased to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Emily Wu. Emily is the Assistant Director of Service Learning at Dominican University. She also teaches social justice. She teaches Asian religion. She teaches Buddhism and world religion. You are all in for such a treat. And she is here to talk to us today about Guan Yin and tell us everything we never even knew to ask. So welcome, Emily. We're so glad that you're here. Hello. Yeah, nice, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, let's just get started. This is such an interesting figure. I know there's so much I don't know. I can't wait to learn. So I, let's just jump into it. I think Amy's going to get us started. Yeah, thank you, Emily, so much for joining us and being here today. Can you share how we even spell Quan Yin and start there? Okay, so Quan Yin is how the name is pronounced in Mandarin Chinese. And there are two common ways of spelling it depending on the transliteration system that's used. So the older way, the Wade Giles way of spelling it is K-U-A-N-Y-I-N. And, you know, and if you do a library search, sometimes the older books would use this system. The newer system, which is Pinyin, then you would end up with G-U-A-N-Y-I-N, Guanyin which is actually closer to how it's being said, right? So guanin, um, but both, you know, if you want to do a search, you should put in both terms and things will come up for you. But then, you know, in reality, these are characters that are used across the Asian continent. And so those nations, countries, cultures that are touched by the Chinese culture would have their own pronunciations of the same Chinese characters, or kanji, or whichever, you know, culture that, that we're talking to. So people that you talk to might pronounce them differently, depending on their dialects of Chinese, or if they, they speak Korean, if they speak Japanese, if they speak Vietnamese, Thai, Burmese. I mean, there are different ways of pronouncing the same name. And I would say, go with what people tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Probably don't correct them if that's their culture. Yeah, but, you know, academically, we usually would, would have one in or one in. in the- Wait, so one word or two words in English? It's two characters. And so you might, so in Wade Giles, when you do the K-U-A-N-Y-I-N, sometimes there's a hyphen in between the Quan and the in because there are two characters. But okay. then in the Pinyin system, there's not that hyphenation. So you would end up with Guanin, which is one name. And so, you know, people are okay with just having Guanin as one word. And so I didn't hear you say Q at all. There's no, no transliteration is Q usually? Mm, usually not, especially if you're looking in academic sources. Okay. But, then, but if you're Googling, it might come up as a Q-U. Yeah, no, that's true. And, yeah. people, sometimes people just, you know, spell the word the way that they think it sounds. And again, you know, it could be a dialect thing. It could be a language thing. So, you know, again, we go with what people say. <laughs> right. <laughs> the ground. Yeah, and so Guanin, the name is interesting. Guanin is a bodhisattva of compassion and of liberation from suffering. And that's in the name. And so a bodhisattva is someone who vows to liberate all, all sentient beings before going to be liberated as a Buddha themselves. And so Guanin is one of the bodhisattvas coming from the Buddhist tradition. And the name Guan In literally, the characters mean perceiving sound or observing sound. 
And so one, there are variations of how people, at least in the, the Chinese culture, was called this deity or Bodhisattva. Guanyin Pusa would be the Bodhisattva Guanyin, and literally would mean the Bodhisattva who perceives sound um, and the sound of those who are suffering. Right? So this is the Bodhisattva who would listen to those who are suffering. Or there's another named Guan Shiyin, which is the perceiver of sound, voices of the world. And so th- this tells us how, how far-reaching this Bodhisattva is supposed to be. Another name for Guanin is Guan Zizai, which is a liberated observer. So not only is this Bodhisattva observing and perceiving the sounds of suffering, this is a Bodhisattva who, who comes from a, a state of liberated mind or you know, being. And there's a really long version of Guanin's name when people chant. It's <laughs> It's important. Don't, don't try. <laughs> this is not your language. But what that means is with great compassion, who saves from suffering and difficulties, the Bodhisattva who hears the voices of the world. Oh my right? gosh. Do it, say it in Chinese one more time for us, if you will. And so if somebody doesn't know how to read or read a sutra or read anything extensive or, you know, in terms of emergency, don't don't remember anything. <laughs> this is the name they call. They say, They just keep on chanting this name for, you know, for emergency. So this is uh, the long name. Guanin has so many names and people do call out to her, them, and we'll explain why it's not just her. This is fascinating. This is Andrea here. It sounded like when you first started talking that, first of all, she originated in the Chinese culture. And then she's in other cultures, as you said, that were touched by the Chinese culture. So would you just tell us a little, maybe a rough sketch of who she is from origin through today? Mm-hmm, sure. And and I would also touch upon how then the gender of Guanyin kind of morphed and transitioned. And it gets very interesting. And this is why, you know, it, Guanyin is not just a goddess uh, <laughs> or a female deity. And so the origin of Guanyin actually come from Indian Buddhism. And so there is a source in Indian Buddhism, and this is the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara, who then, you know, in, say, Tibetan Buddhism, also there's a version of Avalokiteshvara. But this dates back to probably 2nd to, to, to 5th century. There's this Bodhisattva of compassion who has many, many manifestations. And so the key thing of Avalokiteshvara is that this Bodhisattva is supposed to have endless, limitless manifestations so that they, they could reach everyone, right? All kinds of sentient beings in their different places, different locations, different, I mean, castes and different genders, they don't have to be human, right? And in these many manifestations to guide people out of the cycle of suffering, which is rebirth. And so this is a super totally Buddhist kind of thing to do. By the 5th century, Lotus Sutra, which is one of the very key Buddhist scriptures, had been translated into Chinese, right? And so 
by fifth century Buddhism's already in China, there's this whole transmission. But then this is when this very key sutra was translated into a very popular form in Chinese, and it is still available today. And in the Lotus Sutra, 33 different manifestations of Guanin have been named um, and described. And out of the 33, seven of them were clearly female, but that also means that the other ones were not, right? And so the different manifestations are male, female, but what's even more important crosses different age groups, different castes, different professions, different places in life. There are housewives, there are you know, old women, there's people who are practicing, there are people who are ordained people who are kind of deity-like. And so, I mean, you, you, we have this really, really interesting mix of, of different characters in the Lotus Sutra. And so that's when, you know, there's a basis for the, this Bodhisattva that has many manifestations. And because Lotus Sutra is so still in wide circulation, it's still very key for many, many Buddhist communities around the world. I mean, there's still this understanding that Guan Yin is a Bodhisattva that has so many manifestations. By the 7th century, this is the Tang Dynasty in China, where there's a constant competition between Taoism and Buddhism. And by the 7th century, there was a first empress, <laughs> Wu Zetian, who decided that she wanted to promote Buddhism because that's what she liked. And within it, she was promoting all the female bodhisattvas and deities to kind of up her own political power, right, and authority, oh. because, she, I mean, it was unprecedented to have an actual empress. And so with that, there's this, you know, surge of then all these female characters and all kinds of bodhisattvas and deities and, you know, who are up the rank by the, <laughs> the order of the empress. And this was probably the first turning point for this Guanin to be, take on more of the female kind of character, and to be more popular in that form. By the 13th century, there's this really widely circulated Taoist mythology <laughs> about a princess <laughs> in one of the peripheral kingdoms of China. And this is a mythology of where Guanin came from. And, but it wasn't from Indian Buddhism. And so it was interesting how the Taoist celestial hierarchy actually absorbed Guanin into the Taoist pantheon and us a, a Buddhist deity, <laughs> and, but not as an Indian bodhisattva, but as, hey, you know, there's this princess who wanted to cultivate, and it wasn't, you know, in different versions, sometimes she's more of a Buddhist cultivator, sometimes she's more of a Taoist cultivator, but through her filial piety, she gave up her eye in a a hand to save her own father from his illness. And so as the princess? As the princess. Okay. And so she I mean she was this rebellious princess who didn't want to get married, wanted to go to the monastery or nunnery, whichever. And you know, and her father was really angry. And there's all these father-daughter <laughs> conflicts with but then ended up being that, you know, she really demonstrated that she really indeed was a really powerful cultivator, but was very filial at the end of the day, you know, had to save her father. But then her father, as the king, ordered for then the construction or, you know, sort of the deification of this princess into a um, bodhisattva with many arms and eyes, <laughs> right? Because she gave up one eye and one hand. And now the father says, no, let's have a bodhisattva with 
endless, many thousands of eyes and hands. And so there's just sort of a superimposing images of, you know, this Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara coming from the Indian source, already having this image of possibly, you know, many arms and hands. And there, that, that's already been in one manifestation. But then here, here's a Taoist mythology that also, you know, contributes to that imagery. Sorry, Emily, I had just written that down. This is Andrea. I had just written that down when you mentioned that, that isn't there in India, the same image with right. one of the deities with many arms and, and eyes. I was wondering if it was the same one. It's yes and no, right? And because then this is an image that where a Chinese or peripheral kingdom of China kind of origins attributed to. So it's yes, mm, yeah, but no, (laughs) but yes. (laughs) (laughs) But then this is sort of, you know, localizing this, this Bodhisattva into number one, a female Bodhisattva and a localized origin, and with female piety kind of built into the storyline, right? And so this is really, you know, making an indigenous kind of version of the Bodhisattva in this way. And from then on, then, you know, you, you, we have this very, very popular female kind of deity type Bodhisattva in the Taoist pantheon. And so if we go to a, a Taoist temple, most Taoist temples would have a one in there. Um, even though, and, and this is, I mean, she's not the only one. The Taoist pantheon is interesting like that. They would include enlightened beings from other traditions. Seen one temple, there's a Jesus <laughs> deity statue mm-hmm. in, in the, the temple. Like, well, this is a deity, seems to be powerful. <laughs> Let's worship this one. Yesu, Jesus, the, you know, the God. It's probably not the intent of the missionaries that came there. But <laughs> well, nor is the, the Buddhist intention. I mean, they wouldn't want you know to 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 have a bodhisattva that's in the Taoist pantheon. But you know, that's what ended up happening. Yeah. So I mean, very briefly, that's kind of some of the important turning points of how then you know kind of transition from a, a bodhisattva with many manifestations, and some of these images are even almost non-binary. We don't know if it's a male, female. But then, you know, and we're not having a mostly female type character to this, this Bodhisattva. I have a question for you. So something that's come into my awareness is the phoenix. And the phoenix mm. is said to be somehow connected with Kuan Yin. And that the phoenix may or may not have feathers like the peacock, that her eyes, those many eyes, are within the feathers of the phoenix. I'm just curious if you can just help bring any awareness, clarification to what this even is or if it's relevant. Okay, it's slightly irrelevant. There's a little bit of clarification. The phoenix traditionally is associated to either the female rulers or the queens or, you know, the the wife of the emperor, right? So the emperor would be the dragon and then the wife would be the phoenix. In, in China. In China. In China, okay. In, in, or, you know, in, in also in Korea, where, where, okay. where there's the Confucian system in place, usually that's, you know, where, so it signifies power, but political power, right? So the, the, whoever has the, the, the highest political power would be the dragon, the wife would be the phoenix. So that you have also always have the dragon, the phoenix, kind of as like the, 
the highest power in the political hierarchy. A lot of times when Guan Yin is superimposed with whoever the female power is, because, you know, they, they sometimes the political authorities try to kind of deify, semi-deify the actual people, right? And so when they superimpose that, sometimes when when worshippers try to dress up a Guan Yin, they might say, well, in our heart, she's like the, the highest power in our sense of the hierarchy, regardless who else is there. Sometimes they would say, well, you know, let's give her a phoenix kind of, you know, headdress, or let's give her a phoenix kind of dress. But then in terms of religious symbolism, the Guanin is usually not associated with that. Because again, if we go back to the, even the, the, the meaning of the name Guanin, or, you know, remember the, the other name, Huanzizai, this is a Bodhisattva in a liberated state, liberated from human stuff and <laughs> politics and, and social conflict and all that. And so Phoenix is really not her thing. But then her many manifestations, many of them have to do with water. And so one of the most common popular form of Guanin that's being worshipped is her holding a water vase and with a stick of willow. And she would take, you know, and she would use the willow to kind of sprinkle that water from her face. So that water has healing power. And that sprinkle, <laughs> wherever that sprinkle touches, I mean, you know, it's like, wow, you know, Chinese version of the fairy godmother, not the dust, but with water. That sprinkle it is very powerful. So that's the water. Some manifestations of her would, you know, she would hold a lotus flower, which comes out of water, right? So it's a water plant. Some manifestations would have her standing on a fish, and so some, some fishing communities worship Guanin as their protector because she's associated with water in that way. Sometimes she's, she's, her manifestation is on a boat. <laughs> and so, again, you know, she has a lot of association with water, water and, you know, what's out there, not just on land, right? There's this also a Buddhist imagery of crossing to the other shore, Right. And so liberating people to the other shore and what you're crossing is that vast ocean of suffering. Right. And so this is the other way that's kind of, you know, in the popular imagery, people kind of condense this whole imagery of liberation into, you know, very simple things like here's a fish, <laughs> here's a lotus flower, here's that, that magical sprinkle of whatever water in her, her vase. And and what that translates into, and this is a piece that's actually my, my own life experience, my grandmother used to chant. And this is a very common practice amongst women, is that she in the morning, she would chant the name of Guanin into a glass of water, chant a thousand times to that water. And then that oh was like, yeah, a thousand. Yeah, a thousand. Yeah, just, you know, a thousand times. <laughs> just say that to the water and then make us drink it. Because <laughs> that's the <sighs> power of Guanin. It's kind of cool. Um, well, actually, there have been scientific studies, right? That show when we put intent onto bowls of water, we change the molecular structure of it. 
So when your grandmother was like putting this intent into that water of healing and compassion and liberating you from suffering, she was probably doing something scientifically proven. Right. So awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it's not, it's a glass of water, not something else. But, you know, <laughs> but then, yeah. And for many householder practitioners who may or may not know how to read, that was a really powerful way of practice, right? And all they have to do is that. It's exactly that. And they just do this every day, every night, and they do it for their family, make everybody drink that water. And so, you know, there's that whole association with that water, anything that's, that's water related. I have a question. Is there any indication whether this bodhisattva was in fact a real breathing human being in history? Not likely, but then again, with the Taoist mythology of this princess, Miao Shan, then that supposedly, that, that sort of, I, I would say that's a Chinese intent to, or attempt to then relate this bodhisattva to an actual breathing, living a human being at one point. Yeah, to make her maybe a little bit more personable, but then not that she wasn't already. <laughs> but, you know, and, but no, if we think about the, the Indian origin, it it's always came as a bodhisattva already. So how many religions have we covered <laughs> as we've been talking about Guan Yin? So Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism? Yeah, Confucianism has seen that, you know, the human hierarchy and sometimes how that, that actually has power over then how bodhisattvas or, you know, personalities are deified and where they're placed on the hierarchy. And so, yes, okay. there's Confucianism, there's Taoism, there's Buddhism. Okay. So this is, I think for, for those of us who are entrenched in Abrahamic religions, this will feel different. And so Emily might be able to talk to us a little bit about that, like the, the kind of, yeah. I don't know what the right word is, but like there, there's more crossover Asian religion more? Yeah, th- this is a, a worldview where there's some, not a lot of divide and, you know, it, you, there's not, not a lot of requirement for someone to say, I am just a Taoist. If you're, you know, unless you're ordained, right? And so if you're super dedicated, then you're probably ordained into a community. That's a different story. For household, for regular people, lay people, then what we're more likely to them I mean, to, the, to this day, this is true now, this is what's true forever <laughs> that people usually would say, well, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe I'm more of a Taoist kind of person, but I'm, a, you know, people would say, I like one in <laughs> and this is what we do at home. And they, they would visit a Buddhist temple. They would visit a Taoist temple. They would visit any kind of temple. They would even go to a church if people invite them. Mm-hmm. There's no conflict because there, everything is in the same world. Right. And so the, and that's how, Guanyin actually crosses all these boundaries as well because the Taoist temples would, would have her and worship her. The Buddhist temples would likely have a version of, of Guanyin. Sometimes it's the 10,000 arms version. Sometimes it's the female version, maybe other versions. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's because she's so popular. The community, sometimes it's the communities asking for a Guanyin to be placed within the temple that they like, right? And then they would look, look for her. And so this is, this is how it's, it's hard to say whether she's at this point, a Taoist or a Buddhist <laughs> Bodhisattva, but, but that's a part of that religiosity. Great. And Bodhisattva will apply not only to Buddhism, but to Taoism as well? Yeah. And, and this is one, one interesting fun fact is that most people are likely to say that they're 
Buddhist, but then still do Taoist folk ancestral worship mix of practices. Okay. Right. And so if you need to say, oh, you know, you have to take a refuge to be a Buddhist, then most of the people who say that they're Buddhists are probably not <laughs> in that sense. But then they self-identify in that way. But then the Taoist tradition and hierarchy actually has a space for there's a category of deities that were deified because they were good Buddhists. That's a way oh. for to be deified because, you know, their sincerity, they're a good Buddhist, they practice. There's a sea goddess who became a sea goddess because she was a good Buddhist. And so to be a Bodhisattva is perfect a qualification to be a deity in that. I love it. Right? And so it's, like, it's totally fine. People are like, okay, so if this is a Bodhisattva, all the power to you, help us. <laughs> and if, you know, if you're a Taoist deity, all the power to you, help us. And so again, there's no conflict in this system. Yeah, I just had a thought. This is Andrea. Mm-hmm. I might be way off here, but would bodhisattvas almost have the same energetic or be in the same realm as what we might call angels? Mm. Not we, but we've been Western culture. Cause I'm assuming there aren't, aren't the equivalent of angels in Eastern cultures. Is that true? Or what, I might be making a, and trying to compare apples to oranges. Or like a demigod. No, bodhisattvas have a very interesting place in the hierarchy and i would say there are not like the migas are not exactly like angels i think they're higher in the hierarchy they're kind of seen as a little bit beyond the hierarchy and so for bodhisattvas to be so okay so backtrack a little bit the taoist deities have a very specific sort of administrative hierarchy type thing going on and so for for taoist deities in general the deities would have very specific places in the hierarchy with very specific responsibilities and jurisdictions which is you know pretty much the mirror of then human administration and bureaucracy right and this is (laughs) where Taoism becomes kind of confusion because then there's you know confusion as a confusion tradition where there's a lot of kind of who, who's over whom and a lot of paperwork. I mean, literally a lot of rituals is about paperwork and, and, and petitions and lawsuits and complaints, right? A lot of the Taoist rituals deal with that because there's a celestial hierarchy that I could appeal to. And so most deities, then people would go visit temp- so many temples, not because they are not faithful to one or loyal, but then it's because different deities are in different departments of responsibility. So depending on what your problem is, you need to go to different places, right? It's like, you know, we, we don't just say that we need to go to one doctor. If you have an eye problem, you don't go to your OBGYN, right? That's not the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens with the Taoist deities is that they have jurisdictions. And so your land guardian is limited to then what happens in this particular neighborhood. Right. And so say if you move or you travel, that's out of their jurisdiction. They can't help you. The bodhisattvas are outside of this hierarchy. They're like the Buddhist cool ones. Right. And so they, they're not part of this. They're, they're awesome. And they're not under anyone's supervision either. Because, you know, they have supervisors. I don't know why, why people want to be deities in, in the Taoist world, because it's a lot of work and a lot of layers of supervision that I have to report to. The bodhisattvas then have this place where they, they are not bound by geography, 
or, and they're not bound by duties and responsibilities, right? And so, which makes bodhisattvas and, and someone like one in sort of this one go-to all-purpose <laughs> deity that, that they can rely on. And if, if they travel a lot, say, or if they move, or, you know, they feel like they don't know when problems going to come up. This, you know, Guanin is the, the sure, you know, uh, surefire kind of sor- source of power because, like I said, you know, if I don't know who to go to, let's go to Guanin because she doesn't have to kind of be bound by then the, the duties and responsibilities that's, you know, given to her. She, she's free to then just address all the sufferings, right? Whatever suffering that is. Yeah, so I mean, that's kind of how, how she's positioned. And that's why I say it's not quite the same as an angel. So I think the angel has, you know, slightly different ways of, you know, purposes and meaning in, in what they're supposed to do. But someone like Kuan Yin or, you know, any of the bodhisattvas or in the Taoist kind of realm have that role. They kind of, you know, you can travel with it <laughs> if you go. And it's, this is extremely important for state people in the diaspora who are away from their homelands, right? Because they don't have the ancestors that they could, in the land that they could be tied to. Then they have this kind of, you know, overarching deity that they could rely on, who could, you know, oversee all kinds of affairs and cross all the boundaries. So you, you don't do a paperwork to the Taoist hierarchy and they get back to you and say, well, so sorry, you're in Malaysia and we can't deal with the hierarchy here because we have no official channel of communication, right? Which is possible because, you know, I, I've, I've been to Taoist temples and, you know, try, try to, to, to put in paperwork and they say, well, you don't have a local ID number. We can't <laughs> work with people. <laughs> it's fascinating. This is so funny. And I wonder if that speaks to why Guan Yin might be so popular. Mm-hmm. Too. Yeah. particularly more in the modern era because people do move so much more and right. yeah well emily i love that transition so why don't we talk a little bit about like who is guanyin today in chinese religion we have sort of the asian continent and as you mentioned a lot of people from asia who are in diaspora now so what's you know if someone is maybe start in asia if someone goes to asia how can they expect to see and, and experience guanyin in contemporary culture Okay, so Guanin by now, anywhere in East Asia, Southeast Asia, that's been touched by the three teachings, Confucianism, Taoism, Buddhism, basically, you, you would have traces of Guanin or worshippers of Guanin there. I think outside of the Chinese, Latin Chinese diaspora context, in places like Japan and Korea, Guanin or versions of Guanin as a bodhisattva is pretty limited inside of the Buddhist kind of framework. And so you still have more of the classical kind of Guanin and in, in terms of, you know, her, her role and, and her jurisdiction, because that's inside the Buddhist kind of confines. But in the more the in Taiwan and China and in, you know, say Malaysia, Singapore, Vietnam, where there's more Chinese presence or Chinese diaspora or, you know, touch more by the Confucian system, then you have, you know, sort of the Taoist folk kind of representations of Guanin and people more freely taking her out of that Buddhist context sometimes. And so you, we have a lot more temples just worshiping Guanin as the main deity or people just, you know, have just her on the shrine. And they could be Taoists or Buddhists or, you know, and they could have that one in right next to the ancestral worship shrine and just, you know, as sort of a standalone thing. So, I mean, it, it would be fair to say that Guanin basically has her own kind of cult, not cult in the 
the capital C. Right, not, not in the creepy way. Yeah. <laughs> not the creepy way, but cult as in, you know, she has her own community of worshipers who are very dedicated to just this one bodhisattva, mm-hmm. mostly women. And, you know, and there's something about, you know, this is a woman bodhisattva listening, especially and understanding the suffering of women child rearing, <laughs> fertility, you know, protecting their kids, protecting their family, you know, hearing their complaints. So this is kind of the role now that it's, you know, very much a household kind of bodhisattva that everybody feel very close to. And would she be found in households too, representations of her in a house? Yeah. So sometimes people might have a statue and it's not, not just statue, but statue that where rituals been done to make sure that the spirit of a guanin is inside the statue Um, and that's a more you know formal way of worshiping her but i mean people have necklaces with her image on people might have chants as their phone ringtone they might have a card with her image in their wallet right and so all these different ways of you know just feeling that guanins around them a lot of times. I want to chant as my ringtone. Me too. I want her. Yeah. Yeah. Look that up. We'll have to see if we're, if that's respectful or not. I don't know. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> Emily can let us know if this is okay. This is right. It might already be out there. So let me look. I'll let you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Really for the suffering and maybe all our, you know, the, the calls from our bosses would just not come through. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> and it sounds like she's also like you mentioned before she's very international and that in the asian diaspora community mm-hmm. she has gone global she's gone global and so i mean especially within the the east asian kind of diaspora but not i think beyond i mean I, i've seen like you know hard decks Guanin card decks, <laughs> Guanin <Yep>. really? prophecy. Yep. <laughs> Guan- oh, yeah. Guanin. And so by, uh, by non Asian descent. Yeah, kind of, you know, taken out of context. Very interesting. I mean, I I have mixed feelings about it, but at the same time, I mean, Guanin's been appropriated in so many different contexts already. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> it's not what I to say. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Over the so many centuries of her migration, just being appropriate in so many different ways. So, I mean, I, I think I think the question is not not so much whether she should be appropriated, but you know how how we try to respect each other's cultures and not you know offend people. Right. Some some you know an understanding or relationship that's really important to them. Speaking of respect. What would you say or what should we know about approaching Kuan Yin in a respectful way? Mm, So I think in terms of etiquette, I would think of Kuan Yin and too many, many families. Kuan Yin is like a protector to their family, a respected elder type, you know, and and in the Asian cultures, a lot of times that familial affiliation is very, very important. And so just to, to kind of even just mentally to, to think of Guanin as a respected elder or ancestor type, you know, personality to the family. And that's how important that usually is. So, I mean, I, I would, unless you know the family super well, I wouldn't joke around it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just be respectful of in the presence of the image, an image or a statue of, of Guanin. 
just, I mean, as you would with anyone who's super respected in the community. And so I think that's one, one important thing to think about. If, especially if there's a statue somewhere on a, an altar or shrine, then don't point at it. <laughs> oh, that's super helpful. Some, and some, in some places, maybe ask before you try to say take a picture because some people don't like to have a picture taken of the deity statue so that's something or in a, even in a temple always ask for their policy some some of them really don't don't like that being done yeah so i mean in general just be super respectful i think as outsiders people don't expect that you know how to pay respect but then if you want to say oh you know can we follow the proper procedure of paying respect to a deity then just ask the temple or the people at you know a friend's house and say and if i really want to pay respect to this deity what's the proper way of doing it they might tell you you know when you throw like oh here's an incense and you could light it and so you just follow what they do because actually different communities have different ways <laughs> of how they do that so just always follow what the community or the, the people say about that there's one thing i want to add about the popular image of guanin just so that we kind of know who we're looking for if you're looking for them right and so again you know one is the the ten thousand arms and eyes version of the guanin which is usually you know it's doesn't look particularly male or female it's just lots of arms around right and the the all the arms would hold a tool or representing the skillful means to guide people to liberation. So that's, that's a guanin. <laughs> Very, you know, in Taoism, there are several other deities that might have similar images. So I can ask, but then in a Buddhist, if you're in a Buddhist temple and you're sure it's a Buddhist temple and you have to see a deity with many arms, that's probably a guanin. Another very popular one is a lady in a white dress, all white. That's usually a guanin. So guanin is usually in a white flowy dress, standing on top of a lotus flower, sometimes sitting on a lotus flower, holding again that water vase with willow. Water vase and willow is a guanin thing. Nobody else has that. So that we're pretty sure. Holding a lotus flower, maybe. So that one you have to check. (laughs) Check with the temple people if you're not sure. But yeah, usually, usually in that white dress. But then, you know, sometimes you have a gold statue. Then it's like, oh, okay. I don't know what dress, what color that dress is. And then you kind of watch for, look for other representations or symbols. She's so multifaceted. Yeah, because many manifestations. So, I mean, if she actually appears, could be in the form of, I don't know, Donald Trump. To get to people. (laughs) Many manifestations in whatever way that could relieve people of suffering. We're recording this in the weeks before the election. Well-timed, Emily, well-timed. Well, you never know how someone's going to appear in order to relieve suffering. That's interesting. Have you had any personal experiences with her? Do you feel like you have a personal relationship with her? How do you feel like you connect with her or do you? The women in my family worship Guanin. And so this is a bodhisattva that's very close to me. She's always at my house, right? And so this is, but then I'm not, I'm a terrible practitioner, to be honest. I don't like to chant. I don't have the patience. But then, yeah, when, when things get really bad, I do call out. I mean, first is mom, help me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> please help me. But again, this is a bodhisattva word, you know. When there's an emergency, this is the go-to. Um, yeah, and then I've drank a lot of that water that my grandma did it too. <laughs> so, so maybe I, you don't have to do the rituals now because you did them magical. when you were little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you have like any like feelings ritual. that you associate with, with Guanyin? Uh, you mentioned like compassion and liberation and curious curious for you if any of those kind of come up in your experience with her or it, and it sounds like I'll, I'll ask like three questions at once a lot of what you've described it sounds like practices really match the interior experience I might be reading too much into that or might be not phrasing that correctly coming from my western Abrahamic tradition but I've heard a lot of and what you've said about Chinese culture that the, the practices drinking and bowing and lighting incense mm-hmm. And so it might be that that's more the focus than like an inward, kind of an inward state. So I don't even know if I'm asking that correctly. I'll let, I'll let you reframe and, and reorient huh. my poorly worded question. So, I mean, I'm thinking about two aspects of things in general. I mean, outside of my own personal experience, I think one in does, and, and there are many, many accounts of this. And those in the, the Catholic tradition actually might, might have more of that, you know, hear more of those stories of, you know, you know how some people sometimes when they see a statue of Mother Mary, they, they feel like they're crying, you know, they want to cry, they feel very touched, they feel that compassion, very, very similar stories. Okay. One in. A lot of people when they're in the presence of a, you know, powerful the statue of one in, they, they do feel touched um, emotionally, they, you know, feel that connection. Um, and so that's, and in fact, I think, you know, some of the, even to this day, some, some communities, Chinese Catholic communities, sort of have this kind of overlapping <laughs> thing about, you know, the, 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 the image of Guanyin and, and, and Mary. Okay. Because, you know, it's such a, you know, emotional kind of connection to a mother figure. And so the, you know, the traditional way of portraying a motherly kind of goddess sometimes gets superimposed across these two traditions. Okay. Yeah, but, but but personally, really, I'm the last resort kind of person. And so- <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners will really resonate with that. That's <laughs> there was one time. I mean, this this I yeah. There was one time I was visiting Hong Kong, and I was in in a friend's apartment, and in the middle of the night, actually, I felt this group of ghosts operations I appear appeared and I don't know if it was in my dream or if it's like real because it was one of those things and so this group of kind of people operation dripping water kind of just coming across the room and I, I was freaking out I was like what the what's going on here I'm just visiting I don't know how to deal with these you know folks and they're like coming but then I was thinking then okay last resort <laughs> can I maybe try call to Bodhisattva Kuan In who is you know is associated with water for one thing and she liberates all so I'm like oh you know Bodhisattva Kuan In please come and, and liberate these people they seem like they're suffering I, I can't help them but can you please guide them and then you know and I feel like and, and the only image that I could think of at that time is the image of the statue of my house which is here in San Mateo, California. <laughs> so I said, mm-hmm. oh. But you know how we could do, I know it could cross these boundaries. Thanks to my PhD um, education in religious studies. I know that, you know, I <laughs> cross these boundaries. So, and, you know, and, and I, I woke up from this, you know, kind of intact. So I feel like maybe she did 
you know, help help these these poor souls who are, you know, somehow dripping water and lot. Oh, they needed their own liberation. Yeah. So I mean, yeah. if that, I, I and I hope that you know, you know, it's and that that's a role that Guan Yin historically play is to to relieve those from suffering, crossing them over to the other side. They might have also been appearing to you with the water dripping as manifestations of her trying to give you the water as well. Yeah, I mean, could be. But then, I mean, this is a group of, you know, people, not not the deity, right? And so, yeah, but that, that whole water thing, you know, yeah, I do hope that, that her water did touch them. <laughs> there was healing and for that. But it definitely healed me because I, you know, I feel like after I woke up, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> I think, you know, that, that got resolved somehow. Wow. That's fascinating. I love that story. Well, any final questions that we have for Emily? I do. This is Amy. So what comes up for me is if someone that's never even heard of Kuan Yin wants to connect with Kuan Yin, is there something that you might recommend? Huh. So they've never known Kuan Yin, but want to connect. And yes. So like, listener to this episode. <laughs> yep. But it depends on what, where they're coming from in terms of their own religiosity too, right? And so how, what does this connection mean to them? And so, so I, I guess that would be the question I asked is why do you want to get connected to Kuan Yin? And how does that then add to your own religiosity or religious affiliation or spirituality? Right. And so if it's just, you know, and how do you think of Guan Yin as a, you know, as a relationship? Is this going to be your guide to where uh, <laughs> and how? And I mean, is this, a, 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 you know, are you are you also interested in the larger tradition behind these this this Bodhisattva? Are you more interested in the Buddhist aspect of it? Then maybe go through the Buddhist route of reading a sutra about her, the sutra a sutra that's more about the, the, the compassion aspect of the bodhisattva. Are you more interested in the Taoist paradigm? And then maybe there are Taoists, you know, maybe go to the Taoist temple and, and try to pay respect and see if, if there's a connection there. Yeah, I would, I would think that, that I would ask that first question, why? Why, why do you want to be connected to Guan Yin? What, what inspires you? And what do you want to do with it? Because, I mean, her goal is to get you to the other shore. Do you want to be on the other shore? <laughs> Is that what you're looking for? <laughs> or, you know, or do you need like a personal emergency help like me? Then maybe, you know, then that's a relationship. But then, I mean, to our family, she's, she has that protector role, right? And so maybe and if that, that's it, then, you know, maybe that's the kind of relationship you want to establish with the Guan Yin. Such a great point. Thank you so oh. much for speaking into that. For me, what comes up for me is if if I was just tuning into Magical Mystical Journeys for the first time and here's this new being, so to speak, this new energy, and maybe I just want to authentically get to know the energy of Kuan Yin and all, like not what's out there, but just how that might relate to me and Kuan Yin. Mm. So thank you. Yeah, for, for those who are energy practitioners, and this is coming from personal experience. So, I mean, I don't know if this applies to all, but I, I you know, the, the energy of Guan Yin, and if you could see light, it's a cherry red light when the Guan Yin's presence is near. 
And so maybe watch for that <laughs> and see if you connect. And maybe, you know, and maybe Guanyin chooses you to have a relationship. So who knows? Oh, I love that. Maybe she will choose us. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Gosh, Emily, thank you so much for being here. My mind is kind of blown. I don't know about Andrea and Amy. Wonderful. But I'm fascinated considering so many new things. Yeah, this is just wonderful. Listeners, you may have additional questions for Emily. You can post those on our Facebook group. You can always send us an email at magicalmysticaljourneys at gmail.com. And we'll collate those and give them to Emily so she can (laughs) respond to them in a group if there's things that are unanswered. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me. That was fun. Thank you. Thank you so much, Emily. Like what a blessing to receive (laughs) just all this knowledge, everything that you shared in this wonderful conversation between all of us. So thank you. Well, thanks. I mean, again, you know, I don't get to talk about just one end <laughs> very often. So this is super cool and fun. Because then, you know, when I teach, you know, traditions, then I have to kind of very succinctly go over stuff. So. Yeah. I know, yeah. You're going over a couple thousand years of history and several dozen practices. So we're happy to give you the opportunity as well. <laughs> this is awesome. Thanks. Okay. So Amy, Andrea, let's talk a little more about Quan Yin and our reactions to all this information. Oh my gosh, Emily just dropped all sorts of knowledge on us. That was so much fun for me to get to learn because I didn't know most of that. So I'm just kind of curious, what are your reactions right now? What are your, what are you thinking? What are you experiencing in relationship to Quan Yin after interacting with this wonderful scholar? Uh, Andrea. I'll call on you first. The first thing that I want to acknowledge is my own ignorance about other cultures and the whole concept of cultural appropriation. And I, I guess I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, Cause the first thing that came up in me, Emily, I think articulated very well is, you know, why would you want to connect with this being that's not in your culture? And for me, it's like, well, why not? I'm curious. I want to know what it is. Why can't I, why can't I go, hang out with Kuan Yin. Um, So I had to sit with that for a minute. Like, well, wait a minute. Am I trying to pull her over to America and put her in my little box so I understand her? I I actually need to mentally put myself in her world and in her context to the best I can with my imagination and then work from there. What what are your thoughts on that? It's such an important topic. It's such a tricky topic. I'll just say from my perception, I could be wrong. I believe we're all of European descent or majority European descent. And so there's a lot of cultural potential, cultural tension, cultural appropriation that could happen. And so we want to be global with respect. And we were really intentional with season two that we would have non-Abrahamic, non-sort of Westernized beings, even though Mary Magdalene was not a white lady, but she's portrayed as a white lady these days. And so, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. Amy, let's get your kind of immediate reactions to what you've discovered and experienced with Kuan Yin. Then we'll talk about this issue of cultural appropriation and how we can be respectful. I really love the idea of respect in this way. However, since she's one of the beings, one of the guides that's been present in my life, that's not really how it's been for me. It's not like I didn't approach her with like huge respect. It's just, I guess, more curiosity is where I have come from in this whole thing. However, the recording interview with Emily, I very much had that respect piece come up for me as I was 
getting dressed, getting ready. Okay, Kuan Yin, what should I wear? I have this image of, I have this long sleeve shirt. It's kind of a tight fitting shirt, but it's got butterflies, purple, pink, all this like beautiful color in it. And simultaneously, as I receive that message, I'm thinking to myself, you know, Kuan Yin really does have this like really gentle, beautiful energy. And some part of me did not want to wear that shirt because it does have kind of a little bit of a tight fitting quality to it. And so I went to pick this like loose fitting t-shirt that is comfortable. And all of a sudden I have this like curtain hanging where my closet is fell on me. And it was almost like, Oh no, like this is the shirt you're to wear. Don't be grabbing this other one. And so to me, it's almost like a, uh, an elder energy of like, I told you what to do. Why are you picking something else? You know? So I definitely feel like I got a message of respect Kuan Yin out of that one. <laughs> respect the wardrobe choices. <laughs> you asked and she spoke. Yeah. First, first thought, best thought. Right. right? I was like, well, maybe she's not so gentle. <laughs> Sometimes it sounds like it was gentleness at first. Yes. And then a bar falling down on you to right? remind you of what to wear. That yeah. actually really resonates with me with my first impression of her. Of It wasn't gentle at all. And I think, Amy, you nailed it with the elder. There was just a real strong sense of elder and boom, like respect. And maybe that's why I had that first reaction of, ooh, wait, why? You know, it's curiosity enough to want to connect with her. And there was that respect element there as well for me yeah that all resonates i can't quite put it all into the puzzle piece together but that's all it's all feeling yeah important and resonant with me too well let's talk a little bit about you know about kuan yin with respect to her own cultures and one of the things that stood out to me is that kuan yin can't be contained or is not contained to any one culture one country one religion even within asia and i loved how emily spoke about the asian worldview is very different than the one that i'm bringing to the conversation where there's a lot of both and and not a lot of either or and people feel very comfortable borrowing from multiple religious traditions that's not a problem you know it's a problem for a lot of westerners but it's not a problem within Asian culture. And so, yeah, Kuan Yin crosses all sorts of boundaries, national boundaries, religious boundaries, boundaries of gender that we saw as she has both masculine and feminine attributes. So for me, that was really helpful and really impactful just to hear that and hear about Kuan Yin within Asia. Yeah, I, I agree. One thing that stuck out to me, two things actually, in relation to what she shared about the Phoenix and how that was connected to Kuan Yin. So that was a whole new experience of seeing how the archetypes really played into to why we referred to her as a goddess and how the Phoenix was an aspect of like that feminine energy versus the dragons were more of the masculine energy. Wait, our Phoenix is associated with Kuan Yin in Asia though. Wasn't she saying that it's the dragon? Oh, the dragon energy was the king energy and the phoenix energy was the queen? Yes. Energy. So I think that connection was is possible, but not directly. It's not like Wan Yin is the phoenix, right? Yeah. Right. I think it was like the emperors or empresses will use that and borrow that archetypal. Yep. It was uh, emperors and empresses. Yeah. Well, so, you know, I can speak about cultural difference a little bit from 
my perspective actually of teaching the Bible. And so I'm, you know, I'm not trying to say that Kuan Yin's in the Bible, this is directly related, uh, simply an analogy for us. But when I was teaching intro to Bible for many, many years, oftentimes my undergraduates and young white men, young white straight cis men, especially, would always come to me very uncomfortable or kind of be, being stretched a little bit with the way that we were thinking and talking about the Bible. And they would say, well, what is the universal meaning? I'm really, I need to understand the universal meaning of the Bible so that I can share that with everyone. But really what they meant was my understanding of the Bible is the universal one. And I want everyone else to understand that. And that wasn't conscious. That was just part of their presumed privilege in the world that I understand the universal meaning. And I want to get more clear about the universal meaning of the Bible so the whole world can get on board. Whereas I was really encouraging students to understand that some meanings may be very particular and different cultures might have different understandings and interpretations of the Bible. And we're not after just one, we're after the multiplicity. How can we learn from the multiplicity, from the many interpretations that many are valid, many are legitimate. There's many ways to do this. And that makes many Westerners, many men, many white men, many white straight cis men, very uncomfortable. Um, so white, straight, cis, hetero man. If you're listening to this and this doesn't apply, don't be offended. You know who I'm talking about, right? We all know the, the type of person that I'm talking about. And, and I do this too, right? I like yearn for what's the meaning that can be shared. And Kuan Yin kind of defies that one meaning within her context. And so I'm kind of curious, what do, what do we think? Are we uncomfortable with this? How do we approach Kuan Yin? How do people of non-Asian descent approach Kuan Yin respectfully? Can we engage or can't we? I think you raised such a, I mean, the, the perfect word is multiplicity. I mean, I think that's just fantastic. I guess there is something in us that wants some universal truth and there are some universal truths out there, but I think that idea of multiplicity that what she means to me or what my experience may be with her is not yours, Katie, or not yours, Amy, but I definitely resonate with that with her, particularly perhaps more than any other being we've met here, even though with Bridget, Bridget shows up in so many different cultures. For Kuan Yin, I really felt like this is someone who could have multiple manifestations. And I liked that because I felt like there is room for multiplicity. It's such a great word. What do you mean by straight cis men? Yeah. So men who are straight. They are attracted to women. Yeah. What's the cis part? Yeah. Cis, cis stands cis? for cisgender. So if you find your birth certificate, it says baby boy and you identify as a male now, you're cisgender. You identify as the gender that you were sexed with when you were born. Something different would be transgender. So if Got you're it. transgender, then you're, you know, if it said baby boy on your certificate, but you actually identify as a woman then, or on the, on the femme spectrum, then you're transgender. And there's a lot of varying identities in between those two. So that's what I mean. Cool. So yeah. So the more we are in kind of the dominant worldview uh, in terms of race, gender, identification, sexual orientation, the more likely in my experience, we are to think that there's a universal message. And once I figure it out, everyone should have this universal understanding. And that's not, you, that's, that's not universally true, pardon the pun, but it's often the <laughs> case. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Amy, what about you? What are your thoughts about this kind of cultural, as we're going global, as Magical Mystical Journeys is going global, how do we do this and do this well? <laughs> I love the points that you've brought up of, you know, that universal piece is that was someone's thinking, like, I want you to think this way as well. So if we really like 
just let go of all the humanness of how, in a way, we made Kuan Yin be female, female, that right. feminine aspect, right? Can we just let go of all of that and allow her to show up in whatever ways or allow us to connect to her in those ways that we feel called to connect with her? I love the dropping all the labels. And I'm wondering if we can refer to Kuan Yin as she, as he, as they. Yeah. Like, there's so much potential there, which I love. She feels like a they to me. Every Ooh. time I imagine her, every time I feel her, I feel a group of souls, for lack of a better word. Mm. And I was thinking they, group. as many non-binary people, the pronoun in English that they'll choose for themselves is they, or that aligns with their gender identity is they. So I love that this works on a couple of levels. I get it's okay. So I don't necessarily get a female or male aspect. The energy that I receive with Kuan Yin is almost like if you were to look at a garden with all these different colors, all these different beautiful flowers, that's the Kuan Yin energy to me. It is all of it. Mm. Cool. All right. So let's talk. We haven't, not that we've cracked the nut on this. We haven't solved cultural appropriation for all time and space, but I think we're kind of moving with respect in Kuan Yin and her context and also how she is showing up for us. And so I need like a confessional box. Can I have a confessional box, ladies? Yes. Okay. Here's my confessional box. So how exciting. Yes, I know. (laughs) Right. Confession is good for the soul. It's the the place where shame dies. So here we go. Here we go. (laughs) I, I was on a writing retreat before we recorded any of this a couple of weekends ago. And I was solo in a little town in Northern California. And I was looking up in between writing spells, things to go do. And so I was hiking, I was seeing waterfalls and Beautiful things like that. So I'm driving along the little road to my Airbnb and I see the sign, big sign into a neighborhood that says Shasta Retreat. And I thought, why didn't I stay there? That's some retreat center. That looks great. Turns out it's not really a retreat center anymore, but it used to be. And now it's a a neighborhood filled with pretty houses, but used to be a retreat center. So I go and Google this and there's still one little component of the retreat center that's still there. And guess who owns it? Guess who owns it? The St. Germain Foundation. Get out. Yep. Get so out. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And then, so it turns out that Guy Ballard, who I kind of was not as kind to as I could have when we recorded this lady, Por- I think the lady Portia episode, like founded this whole retreat center. Oh my gosh. And so to go to hike, to see the waterfall, I want to see through, I have to walk under the gate. I have to go. I, you know, I think I found a little building that's still in operation. For this retreat center. That night, that night I had this dream and it's a horrific dream. It's a really, it's just one of those terrible, I wake up and I'm like, why I have this nightmare? Come on. So I knew I just had to sit down and process this nightmare. And in within the dream is an Asian woman who lets me be very emotional with her, but doesn't respond to me with a lot of emotion. Like she holds the space within my dream for me to express my, you know, my dismay at uh, whatever's going on, whatever's happened to me within this dream. So then I wake up in the dream, I'm processing this, I'm writing all of this down. And then I pull out my Megan Watterson feminine divine deck, the kind of red card deck. And I don't even, I don't pull a card or anything. I just get out my book and I look at the information on Quan Yin and 
it was just really clear that this connection with compassion and me having compassion for myself and the Asian woman and the dream that had compassion for me was really, really important. And so within all of this, I was like, I need to, I need to um, enter the confessional zone and kind of apologize for being snitty about Guy Ballard and Lady Portia and how that all shows up and the I am centers and everything. So here I am. So I'm confessing it and having compassion for myself and asking for compassion from Amy as well. Cause <laughs> I was like, not as nice as I could have been about that. And I really probably hadn't done my homework as well as I could have. So Kuan Yin showed, I feel very strongly that Kuan Yin showed up in these ways. And within that Megan Watterson material, there's also this connection with Mother Mary. And this is where I want to be careful about culturally appropriating. I don't want to say that Kuan Yin is like the Mother Mary of the East or anything like that, but they both have this quality of compassion. And that, that felt really strong to me. So that's both confessional and story, how Kuan Yin has shown up for me in the past, yeah, in the past couple of weeks. I love hearing about your journey, Katie. That's so, just so fascinating of like, oh, the universe is showing us, here's this part, like kind of in a sense, bringing a little bit more just for us to spark our curiosity to explore a little bit further and honor life in ways that we may, may not normally honor it. Thank you, Amy. And when I got home, I was laughing about the whole, all the synchronicities with the Shasta Retreat and St. Germain Foundation, I... et cetera. And I was telling my partner about it. And he was like, yeah, you really should have been nicer. And I was like, you're supposed to have <laughs> compassion for me right now. He was like, no, you just should have been like nicer. <laughs> you so, know, you're raising something interesting about the word compassion, because that's what really stuck with me after listening to Emily and also really sitting with the word compassion about Kuan Yin, compassion, I think can be very easily dismissed. You know, it's like, oh, we're compassionate. I'm sympathetic. I'm blah, blah, blah. I'm compassionate. Yeah, compassion. But it's such a deep and multi-layered word. And compassion does not mean all accepting, all forgiving, all everything's okay. Just come, let me hug you and it's all going to be fine. That is not compassion. Yeah, it's not I a doormat think. word. It's not, but I, I think it's somehow dismissed as a doormat word. Compassion is a fierce word that requires a lot of, I think, self-respect and a lot of respect for whatever the situation is that you're seeking compassion through or with. So Katie, I'm just laughing a little bit that, you know, maybe your partner was showing compassion by calling you out, not calling you out. I don't mean calling you out. <laughs> he recognized when, my own calling myself out. There you go. Yeah. yeah. There's something very brutally honest about the word compassion. And I think Emily raised this in that compassion is seeing, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember actually what she said precisely, but it's that almost I'm seeing everything for what it is. I'm not necessarily judging it and I'm not going to engage and wallow in the suffering surrounding it. There's something, there's a lot more there to dig deep on, but. Yeah. Well, that, you know, the, the journey towards compassion, I was just reminded even yesterday that compassion is a really healthy alternative to deep empathic connection with mm. others, because if I can feel your pain, that might be illuminating for me, but it might just suck me into the pain and then put us in a weird, unhealthy dynamic where I'm trying to solve your problems. 
Yes. Right. But holding compassion and not that it's never appropriate to have empathic connection, but that compassion is actually the gateway to the deep space of healing. Mm -hmm. Amy mentioned something that I'm going to say. She mentioned it just in our private group. She forwarded us a quote that I I really think nails it. And it's that, you know, pain, at least in terms of the human condition is inevitable in life, but suffering is not. Suffering is optional. Suffering is optional. Correct. And I think that moving and healing through any sort of pain with empathy, we don't want to get dragged down into the suffering, particularly if it becomes something that is not healing, something that it's, we're just spiraling down and we're not wanting to heal and move through the pain. So yeah, there's something there with compassion and empathy that empathy can at times be too heavy and drag us down and compassion can, can really be the more enlightened chance. Although I got to say, I don't think you intellectually choose compassion. You can't just say, Oh, I'm going to choose not to suffer. I think you have to live and move through it and compassion's the end result. Yeah. It's a learned skill, right? Absolutely. So that quote came through very strongly, you know, with us, interviewing Emily, I'm like, okay, Kuan Yin, it's that, you know, she is here to assist with the suffering. Say for instance, something happens to us that causes that pain, you know, that deep pain. For me, if I continue to tell that story or to, in a way, I want to be gentle about this, Like this happened to me and I keep on telling people this happened to me, to me, that is choosing to stay in that suffering mode versus, okay, I acknowledge this happened to me and this was not the greatest thing. Like this, this was really painful. Can I receive anything within it of like, why did this show up for me? Or in a sense, maybe I can find compassion. Like, even though I don't like how this person say, for instance, treated me, can I have compassion for maybe all the things that I don't even know that took place in their life for that energy to work through them and show up in my face? It's, I get to transcend that I can respond differently to that energy versus taking that on and allowing that story to continue. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that speaks strongly to me and there's no shortcuts to that, right? Like I can only have compassion for someone else that has done harm to me if the harm has stopped. Oh, right. Yes. Right. It can't be ongoing. It has right. to, there has to be that time and distance between that. So I know if I'm actively be, being wounded by someone, I, it's almost impossible to have compassion for them. Or if I do, then it's a very unhealthy kind of Stockholm syndrome compassion. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Absolutely. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's real compassion. No, I think that's not. escapism. Yeah. I think right. that's right. trying to leapfrog over some very important, authentic truth steps that you don't, that that situation is requiring. Yeah. And so that, yeah, so this deep, the, the deep compassion element of Kuan Yin has been speaking, showing up. Okay. So I've had my confessional time. What about you, Andrea, with this brand new being that you knew zilch about to quote yourself? 
has she been showing up for you in the intervening time? I think I said everything I have to say about it. It's the whole compassion. That was mm-hmm. it. I mean, that was all of oh, that's no, <laughs> I put that in the wrong good. part of our no, episode. No, that was my, that you're was good. all the messages. <laughs> that was all it. Um, like really deeply sitting with compassion. And what does that mean? Any final thoughts, any final associations with Kuan Yin? It might be kind of fun to explore how, how we envision she might show up in our, each of our respective works. Amy, any, any kind of shamanic wisdom or anticipation to share around Kuan Yin? Shamanic wisdom. You know, maybe this will spark something else, but what's really showing up for me right now in relation to this is having compassion for ourselves. Maybe we don't fully show up in a way that we would like to And to have that gentleness, just to acknowledge it and to be gentle with ourselves and to know that our guides, our beings, just to meet ourselves where we are and that be okay. That at any point we can choose to make another choice in moving forward. That's beautiful, Amy. Very what about you, Andrea, and your psychic medium work? I feel I feel like this energy is so wise and it almost feels removed from me. You know, like there's this wisdom that's way, way up over my head that maybe I can't tap into. And I think all of us can. I think there are some times when I need to move away from the suffering that my clients present. And I do find myself, because I'm highly empathic, wanting to solve their grief one, or wanting to solve if they're really, really stuck in a place. I'm, want, I'm wanting to get in there and fix it for them. And, and if I can't, that's a failure on my part. And I think a better way to look at that personally is to is what Amy just said, actually, you know, meet clients where they are. And for me to step back a little bit, move, move into that reserved spot where I feel Kuan Yin is and see the situation with as much compassion as I can, but know that I can't get in there and solve anything for my clients. I can just hold space for them. Yeah, I, that's, that's so profound. And really all any of us can do yeah. is hold enough space for people to access their own empowerment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. I just got chills. I think that's her message, Katie. <laughs> Reduced down to one sentence. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> well, I, it's so funny because I'm I'm just thinking right now, like as you know, within within my Christian framework, how how do I even talk about how to access another multi-religions deity? Mm. So I think that's probably a topic that we can, you know, something we can talk about in the future more in depth. And so it feels uncomfortable for me to work with a deity. Yeah, mm. I think it feels very uncomfortable to, for me to work with someone that are worshipped in another religion. But that theme of compassion and especially the association with Mother Mary feels so resonant and so strong. So I think that's the energy I'm drawing on. So I can't imagine 
sort of giving devotion to, to Kuan Yin as it's been presented to us by Emily. That doesn't feel authentic to me, but accessing that compassion and I can't ignore my experience at the Shasta retreat and everything and how, you know, showing up in a dream in that way. So I think I'm still exploring what feels, what feels authentic, what feels the most resonant without dismissing anything. You bring up something interesting. I think I was struggling with and why I asked this question to Emily of which bodhisattvas be akin to angels. And of course, Emily explained that, but in our framework, we're not, we don't worship angels, right? We don't devote the devotion is more toward our divine selves or divine being divine God, you know, whatever that is. But I, it's, it never even occurred to me that Kuan Yin would be an energy to worship. But again, that's our framework, I guess. Yeah. And that might not even be the right word um, too for Asian religions. I mean, Emily described very embodied practices of devotion, right? And so I, I don't even know that word is quite right. Fascinating. I love how we're all grappling with this. I'm sure our listeners are as well. Yeah, we would love to hear more questions. And uh, Emily indicated she'd be open to questions. So if people do have any questions, we'll, we'll tell you how to write into us and we'll, we'll pass those along. So does this feel like a good time to move into our meditation? Yeah, yes. Okay. As usual, listeners, please only do this when you're in safe space. Please don't enter into a meditative state while you're driving. Be nice and safe. Let me invite everyone... First of all, just to get comfortable, this this goddess of compassion, this energy of compassion, one way we can show compassion to ourselves is by not limiting the movements of our bodies. So often force ourselves to be in certain shapes. So I encourage everyone just to stretch, to get comfortable, um, to assume whatever posture feels the most compassionate to yourself right now. And with this wonderful connection with water, And with the lotuses, I invite everyone to imagine yourself next to your favorite body of water. Maybe a place you have in your memory, maybe a place you have in your imagination. And feel the energy of that water surrounding you. And in fact, your own incarnated body is made up mostly of water. That water that surrounds you or pours down over you or is right next to you is ever flowing, ever generous from a spring that will never cease. It is non-judgmental and simply ask you to greet yourself with as much compassion as you can have right now. You might notice within your own body any place that feels stuck, where it feels like there's energy that has been stagnant. and simply greet it with compassion. If you feel any judgment, allow the water next to you to carry it away. 
And the question for you today is, where can I show myself the greatest compassion in my life right now? If any feelings of resistance or judgment come up, just acknowledge them and let them move into that water space away from you. And know that there's no end to compassion, just like the spring that feeds the water next to you or that you're in. It is ever flowing. It's from a source that will never cease. It's available in unending amounts. You can stay next to your water or in your water for as long as you like. And when you feel that this time of acknowledging compassion has concluded, Simply wiggle your fingers and toes. Give gratitude for this moment, for what's been illuminated in your own life. And return to the present moment. And compassion will be there at the doorway to greet you. And welcome back to this new part of your life. That was amazing, Katie. Thank you. What did you, what came up for you? What did you experience? How powerful that water is, honestly. (laughs) And that we have, this is a theme that keeps coming up for me is that, yes, you have permission. Yes, you have permission to connect into something that's powerful. Yes, you have permission to let the water help you or to let this being help you and carry it away. I love that permission. Giving. Yeah, that is a theme that keeps on coming up. Thank you so much, Katie. I had an experience of being partially in the water and partially on land. I was act- actually a weeping willow. Mm-hmm. And there's this energy that was taking place. If you turn the letter W sideways, and for me, the water was was on one side of me, was more of, I guess, on the left side of me. And on the right was, was the land. And so this like W, sideways W energy of like if I was at the bottom of the W and then it kind of went up and arose to the center of the W and then it went down and rose to the top of the W and then it went back down to the center. And so this like almost like wave type of energy was present during that. And at the end, the question that you asked brought so much up for me. I shared earlier about my experience with Kuan Yin. And in preparation for that experience, I cleansed my entire house, almost as if God was coming over, you know, like, like deep, deep cleaning, making sure that the energies that were present were that highest vibration. And part of me has a habit of feeling that I can help out those in need, this caretaker aspect. And I just help, helped a friend to move. 
and some of the things that he couldn't take with him. I just loaded up my car and brought that home with me. And so here's this like nice cleanse, clean house. You brought um, a bunch of stuff into it. I did. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is just part of the process. Let me have compassion for myself. Yeah, yeah. And just acknowledge that's there and doing what I can to cleanse that energy again, to really do my best to have the energy that I would love to be there the majority of the time versus what it has been. <laughs> <laughs> I love the I love the places you were able to access within yourself. <laughs> right. Like and hopefully no judgment. Hopefully that's on down the stream, on down the waterfall. And- right. Oh, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm just always accessing new places for my own, you know, for my own compassion and getting out of the imp- the potential empathic toxicity. Mm-hmm. that can accompany, you know, uh, empathy and empathic connections. Yeah. So that's, I think that to just continue to be present for me too. So yeah. I, can't, I can't wait to see where this goes with Juan Yen. She's so, she's so new in my consciousness. Same here. Although I would just reiterate something we've said in past episodes that each one of these beings helps us access a new part of ourselves. Yeah. And I hope our listeners are going on that journey. This is all about accessing just some exploring some new part of your own consciousness. Yeah. Oh, totally. And yourself and then letting go and it, it just acknowledging having compassion for what comes up and letting go of the rest. It doesn't starve us. Yes. A hundred, a hundred and thousand percent. Well, speaking of that, Hey listeners, we would love to hear what your questions are and any, any takeaways, any stories that you have, you can always send us an email at magical mystical journeys at gmail.com. Amy faithfully checks that email account. Amy, I don't think we've said thank you for checking the email account. Or thank, you, Amy. thank you. <laughs> thank you. We would also love, love, love if you could give us a rating, especially on iTunes. If you haven't done that already or anywhere where you listen to this podcast, that really, really helps these messages get out there to the world, which is our, our deepest hope and desire. You can always visit our website, magical-mystical-journeys.com. Is that right? Okay. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> I always second guess myself when I don't have the tab open. And from there, you can subscribe. You can find out all about us and the individual work that we do. So we would love to see you there. And with that, I think we're a wrap on Quan Yin for now. So it's been great to share this time with you. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Bless Bye, you everyone. All.